0: way that wisdom accumulates counts you could sit a long time anywhere, Ajahn Chah is very famous for responding to a question how long should a person sit he said I don't know, he said I have seen chickens sitting on their nests for days on end and they don't get any smarter you know so sitting is not a guarantee of getting in fact smarter Except the elegant word for that is wiser. And really what I'm thinking a lot these days is that what we are, what I am trying to do is become, uh, is had to have what, what the traditional teachers call the consolidation of wisdom. I want to talk today about uh, ways in which wisdom manifests. Like how do you know a person is wise you can't see it about them. There was a period of time in history where we used to think about spiritual attainment in terms of um, amazingness, like whose teacher could walk through walls, or whose friends, do you ever heard about people walk through walls, or uh, could manifest a, a ruby out of air, or I certainly heard that story, or who, when they die, they didn't decompose. They just stayed there forever. And then one day they were gone and only their fingernails and their eyelashes were there. So first of all, I thought that was kind of grisly. And, <laughs> and I don't know anybody. I never saw somebody do that, not taking anything away from that. But I think all of that led to the idea that what was supposed to happen was something that was fundamentally unrealistic so that unbelievable things And still, I think that whether they happen or not seems not so material as to the possibility of getting wise, which everybody could do, with or without being able to bring things out of thin air or levitate or walk through walls or walk on water. Uh, but we thought amazing things would happen. I think it would be amazing to suddenly have a mind that this is where I'm going to start, but I first want to see who's new here and whatever. But I was thinking I'd been preparing for days how I wanted to talk about partiality and how we make decisions, we like this and that, uh, based on a sense that I have of the mind being able to say, well, this is okay, or I can deal with that. I, w- I was thinking about, um, now it comes to me, I want to call the name of this talk, No Problem. You know that I've, I've been actually not so happy about the fact that when you thank people these days, you thank the bagger in the supermarket, you say, thanks for bagging so well. They say, no problem. <laughs> that's, not, that's not good. i <laughs> I am thanking them for something they did. If they make it no problem, then it's not a, not an event. If they say you're welcome, then we at least, I acknowledge their gift of packing so well. And they acknowledge that they had noticed me as a person and I was welcome to that courtesy. So anyway, this is my, my editing mind. I don't even let people talk without having an editing... <laughs> Which is good if you're writing a book. It's not so good if you're walking around in the world. But but I was thinking the other day that no problem is not such a bad thing to have with things happening. You say, not a problem. Not a problem. That doesn't mean you like it. It just means I can deal with this. I can deal with this. I can deal with this. Whatever it is. Anyway, we'll come back to that. Who here... We said, "Well, who here has been here twenty years? Who here is here for the first time on a Wednesday morning?" Oh, so don't worry about it. Just stand up for a minute, so that everybody can see you standing up. One minute. This is the easiest question you've ever answered in your whole life. We're just looking, and we are all collectively sending you thank you for coming with totally open space. Never mind about people being here twenty years. You are equally welcome. What? we all want to know from everybody is what's your name and where do you live my name is Linda and I live in Fairfax welcome oh, cool. thank you very much Linda my name is Madeline and I live in Novato oh good do you come down the, the back way I came the back way it's a great very pretty today. it's a very pretty way Always, but today. today was very good yeah. uh and I'm so glad the rain stopped. You know, that would, today There's parts of that that I wouldn't like to be doing in a big rain. So I'm glad you're here. Yeah? Katie, uh, Kenfield. Oh, I live in Kenfield. Where do you live? Um, town of the Solene. I You came to the Rancho La Quarta, so where are your groupies? Oh, okay. In <laughs> fact, that's good. I'm actually going back in March. Yeah. by all means come but while I'm on the come to something this is Inheritance by Danny Shapiro who was my good friend it's just come out two weeks ago it's already on the New York Times bestseller list it's a wonderful book and on the 19th which is a week from next Tuesday or two weeks from yesterday Danny and I are going to be in conversation about this book at at Book Passage so please write that down in your book and come at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It's an odd time, but come at 1. It's a really a wonderful book. And um, hmm? Inheritance. I'll tell you about it a little bit. Maybe I'll mention what's in it today. It's very, very timely. So your name is Kate and Deb? Debbie, happy that you're here. Come to Rancho. Come to Book Passage. Yeah. And where do you live? I live in Kentfield. Also. Close to you. I'm on Cypress. You're probably up right behind me. Somebody lives up behind me for many years, and I don't know who they are because there's a fence and there. You know, Kentfield is funny. But do you have a dog? Nah, Then you're not the one. <laughs> My dog is barking. (laughs) It's not you. Okay. I'm Carol. I'm from Berkeley, and I actually was here once before, but it was at night, and it was to hear you about 35 years ago. Ah. (laughs) Well, we've both gotten 35 years older then. I'm glad to see that we're both here. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Veronica, I'm from Linda. Oh, well, Welcome. Welcome. I'm John from San and Welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'm Benita, I'm from Southern California. Oh, where do you live? Uh Bueno Park. Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> Are you visiting up here? Yes, I'm visiting my friend back there. Who's another Knott's Berry Farm in <laughs> She's another? Was that fun when you did that? It was, so much fun. <laughs> eh? it was my best job. Ever. <laughs> did you administer a ride, or were you? Um, no, I took tickets and I stamped it, so. <laughs> Uh We went to for the Disneyland for the first time but once we had children. When we had children, you know, when they grew up a little bit, and um, we actually before we had grandchildren, we practiced uh, being on being able to do. Um, uh, roller coasters so that we could go on with them. So. Yeah. Also, come that beautiful way, and back down the back. I'm Ann, I'm recently transplanted into Tamales. Oh, it's beautiful out there. Was it great in the storm? Yes. <laughs> Amazing and all that. Yeah. Well, good. And thanks for coming. Uh uh-huh. Hello, my name is Neil. I live in Caluba. And my wife works here, so she told me to come. Happy wife, happy life. So they say. I'm Susie. I live in Berkeley. I'm glad you're here. I'm I live in Berkeley. Debbie, I live in Oakland. How is the traffic coming? Was it was all right. We moved somewhere a year ago, I think a year ago. We moved this class from nine o'clock where it had to eleven where it had been since ever. It's like well to change something here is a really like an act of God. It doesn't happen often, and we'd done that forever from nine. But the traffic got so bad for people coming from the East Bay that we moved it down a little bit. So was it all right when you came? Not all blocked up. Good. Okay. Hello. There's a. I think there's a chair over here, but I'm not sure. I mean, there's a chair, but I don't know if there's anybody in it. No, there's no one in it. I do see that, but if anybody had a claim to that, so has everybody said hello? No. Anybody who I've never met. Oh, there. Oh. Oh, that's great. That's lovely up there too. So here we are. Oh, I I was just about to launch into some instructions, but I thought So what do they think, Joe? If that's right. If Ace were here, <laughs> Ace and Brahmini are not here because they're on the East Coast. They'll be back next week. Ace and Brahmini are usually over there. And if I move on at this point, Ace says, wait a minute, Sylvia, you have forgotten to tell everyone to turn to their neighbor and spend a minute saying hello and meeting them and just establishing some contact person to person. So on behalf of A's, go. admiring your hair, not yeah. so many people oh, have, my daughter has curls and I love it. Yeah. all right that's all right I actually think that's the most fun I and I also think first of all I I think that that really is and that's the most fun really and I don't and I love it that everybody talks nobody has nothing to say <laughs> nobody has nothing to say and that for for several reasons. I like it that everybody talks. We so get to know a little bit about other people. And I like it very much that we do that before we sit because everybody who was maybe a little bit sleepy now is awake. <laughs> you no, know, seriously. There are things that you can do before you do a period of focused meditation. And in fact, I did start by saying that long periods of um, uh, uh, I going to say cloistered, cloistered is the word, cloistered meditation—the way we do retreats—are wonderful. I still think they are. I just don't want to make them hierarchically more important than short periods every day, or short periods, or any other kind, short or long. There's a there's a story that I tell way too frequently it's not too frequently it's a wonderful story so i'm not going to tell it again right now but i'm going to tell you that there's a certain story that those of us who are here a lot of the time know is the mohammed story not going to tell the mohammed story although it's the best story i know that's bad <laughs> that. no, no, no 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 maybe it comes up later in in what i'm going to talk about But at one point, I'm in a conversation with a person named Mohammed who's a van driver going to an airport. And I'm having a conversation with him, purposely because he said he's sleepy. And so I'm talking about one, and there are very few topics left. And so I was talking about, I assumed from his name that he was Muslim, which he said yes, and I asked him about praying every day, how many times, what do you say. And I said, does, is it, does it take long or short to pray? This is the important part anyway. He said, it doesn't matter if you pray long or short. Pray long or short, it doesn't matter. It matters if it comes from your heart. So I said, how, how do you have your prayer come from your heart? And he said, you look around the world and you look at it all over anywhere and you see it's like everybody has been thrown into an ocean and nobody knows how to swim so when you realize that you pray from your heart that's anyway the point of that story so I don't think that in the end it's about whether we sit long or short or once a week or once a day or five times a day or twice a year for a week I think At at any time, we could be looking around and thinking, am I connecting with my heart? Do I care? Am I capable of caring in this moment? I think that my new uh, metaphor, or I guess a metaphor is it, um, is uh, there's a certain device that's being advertised on the TV these days for people with um, AFib, which is now much more common, especially in older adults than I remember it as being. And it's a device where you see the person who's talking about this device saying, look, I'm here in the middle, and it looks like she's in a Starbucks or something. And she said, I have this device, and she puts it down on the table in front of her, and she puts this finger here, and she said, look, I put this finger on one side, and I put the other finger on the other side, and it checks my heart to check whether it's in rhythm or whether it's fibrillating and if it, or something else is going wrong with it. It's a mini electrocardiogram. So she's got the you know, two fingers here. The whole thing is about this big. And she says it registers and I can read it. And it also registers and I guess her watch is also somehow geared to it. It's some particular smart watch that she's wearing. She said because if it's not good, It transfers that information to my physician. And they call me or I call them, but they already have the electrocardiogram in front of them. And she said, that's the way, that way, she said, I feel so much better because I could check my heart at any time. And I thought to myself, that's a really good device. (laughs) I would like that, but you can see what I'm gearing up to she is checking the heart to see if it's in sinus rhythm I think we could all be checking the heart to see that it's in a loving rhythm whether it's available whether if somebody walked by in a desperate looking state whether reacting to them with pity or disdain whether we felt ah uh, or whether we saw somebody uh, Skateboard down the street and then execute some amazing turn in the air and end up on the sidewalk continuing along, not falling down, not hurting themselves, and you don't know them. You could think, oh, look at that. That's really wonderful. Is your heart available to register the world and respond to it with compassion or with admiration and appreciation? There was an article... I thought I would have brought it, but I didn't bring it. Um, in the most recent issue of um, Lion's Roar, a, there are interviews with various practitioners about uh, what's a pract- what practice is best for you or what practice are you most um, using these days for yourself. And Mingyur Rinpoche, who teaches in the Tibetan tradition, said, I'm practicing appreciation. In any moment, can I look around and find some reason to be appreciating life? So you you look at somebody's skateboards up and lands on their feet, you appreciate. Uh, You could do something else. I mean, you could be thinking, oh, look at him, he or her he's young, she's young, look at them, I'm so old I can hardly jump. But you could think that, or you could think, good for her. May she enjoy it, which is a much more, it's a connecting thing. You notice her and you connect to her. Or you see somebody in a desperate state, you think, oh. Even if you can't do anything for them right now, you have connected to them with a a wish of compassion and a thought of goodwill you're alive in the world while you're doing that I I think to myself whenever I catch myself in some rumination in the middle I'll tell you a story about a rumination of grand proportion right away Uh, and then you realize there were all these people around me that I could be connecting to with appreciation or with compassion in which case I'd be alive in the other ways, I'm sleepwalking. I'm just going through this life. My heart is not alive. <coughs> I'm awake. There's a line that uh, from um, The Song of Songs, which is a, a book within the Hebrew Bible. and uh, there's a line in it that says, "I'm asleep." but my heart is awake. That's a really lovely thought, isn't it? That my heart would be awake all the time. I think that's what we're trying to do. Not levitate or walk through walls or manifest rubies or anything else. I think we're trying for our hearts to be awake. Not because somebody would say, oh, look at that amazing skill. Heart awake all the time in that person. Because because for me, it would be the happiest way to live. And for my heart to be awake, it has to not be having a problem. We're going to get back to where <laughs> I started with no problems. I was after, after I was reviewing all the things I wanted to bring and tell you about, I, um, I ended up thinking, as I was driving down the Casio Valley Road, I thought, well, it all adds up to... Uh, Some years ago, a lot of years ago, 2004 or 5, I went with a delegation of Buddhist teachers from all over the world who were meeting with His Holiness the Dalai Lama and Dharamsala. There are a lot of stories about it. It was a great week. but It was a place where I met um, Mahagosananda, who's died now. He was the uh, highest ranking Buddhist prelate in Cambodia. And he was, uh, and he has been known for. He had been known until his recent death at, at an old age, at being tireless in his work for peace, uh, in clearing clearing the world of landmines, or uh, uh, recognizing the devil and celebrating the ends of uh, terrible periods. A friend of mine met him at the 50-year anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz where a um, a walk began that ended people marched out literally, the gates were open symbolically and uh, a, ca- a bunch of people walked out, mostly I think clergy of all kinds and started to walk and they walked at some point they crossed bodies of water so that part they didn't walk but A march continued from April, which was the month of the liberation, until August, and they were on uh, August 6th in Hiroshima uh, for the 50th anniversary of that devastating event in Hiroshima. And he was in both places. I don't know if he physically, I don't think he physically walked the whole thing, but other people joined the walk and left the walk and joined and left the walk. It was an ongoing walk that you could join and leave and join and leave. Something like the, um, the pilgrimage uh, that goes on from France until uh, the end of that pilgrimage t- uh, trail, San Diego de Capistrano. He joined a, a group of people who are keeping in mind a particular spiritual goal. Anyway, what I wanted to say is I met him there. That was the first time I met uh, Mago Ananda. And uh, he, there were I don't know, 30 people all together from countries all, all over the world, but in English, so they had to be English speaking. And Magos Mah- Senando was one of the delegates there. And he didn't say much. There was not so many people there, about 30 of us in conversation. And uh, he was always there and always sitting quietly and walking quietly and seeming unperturbed. And when people, uh, one of my friends who sat near him said, you know, he doesn't say very much, but lovely attitude about him. And he said, if I, sometimes he seems to be speaking, and if I listen to him, what he's saying is, may all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. That doesn't say much, he just says that. So I'm telling you that, in particularly that tone of voice that you can really get the message is, if we didn't say anything ever other than, may all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. Just magically, that's what we said. Imagine how the world would change. We would never shout at anybody. We'd never be mad at anybody because <laughs> it doesn't leave you any room in your mind to have a negative thought or an aversive thought or a contrary thought or a, uh, don't have a contest with life. Because I said Joseph Goldstein used to say that. Don't make everything a contest because you're not going to win you know that uh, but that's the way to have a ha- not don't be in contention that was a better word that he used don't be in contention with your life and in the largest sense in the in the really the worst circumstances in terms of survival and what we want to happen to be able to say i'm not having a problem with this i'm not in contention with this i meant to just say one sentence about the, no problem <laughs> <laughs> and it's 10.30 so, <laughs> so that didn't work For um, I, I was going to say what we do here every week is we have a short period of time where we say hello to each other today it was a long time uh, on a, because of my hello but, um, and then we sit together quietly with some instructions and then I most often think I have prepared things to talk about and a lot of times you talk with me about that. So I hope you will today, but now I guess we'll sit a little quietly. Um, but I think we'll use that for an instruction. Don't have a problem with anything. As you sit, here's the instruction. How many people have never had a meditation instruction? Okay. Whatever you've had is meditation instruction. This is a this is a meditation of not having a problem with stuff. We're gonna, we in essence, I'm going to tell you some things that you can do to bring your attention down to this immediate body and this immediate time frame, and I'm going to say something that means stay right here. Try not to be planning later or remembering yesterday or not commenting on what's going on. It's just we're sitting here. There's not much going on. And if something arises in your mind and it says, you know, I didn't say the right thing to so-and-so this morning, or, oh, I'll have to remember to say, or, ah, oh, this is a little too long. I don't think we'd be sitting so long. My back is that. Whatever comes up in your mind. And in, 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 to interrupt the peace and ease of your mind and body you can say this is not a problem this is there sometimes something has arisen it's not a problem here is me not having a problem and just sit again how about that Pam before we don't have a problem I have a problem I don't have tissues (laughs) and I see them on the back shelf there oh wait wait the problem is solved Pam they're here. Sorry about that. All right. <laughs> Thank you. In terms of life problems, that was about the most minor that I could possibly think of. So sit in a way that's comfortable for you. I I really like my whoever of my friends starts by saying sit with dignity and it is my friend Ajahn Amaro whose counsel I am following with this instruction that he taught me he said, let the mind and body, let the mind and body meet the natural peace and ease that is the natural peace and ease of the mind and body. means let it be alone let it be don't do anything assume that was the word I was looking for let the mind and body assume the natural peace and ease that is its natural peace and ease Perhaps you feel your body muscular, muscularly just relaxing in your arms and your legs. Especially if you are sitting up and with your shoulders back. I always find that my body is a little bit like a coat hanger, and my body hangs on it. So if the coat hanger just stays hanging straight, my whole body stays up. And then I find that my breath goes in and out of my body (coughs) just by itself. this body at this time being breathed by everything that's present the health of your own body the health of the biosphere magic or the apparent magic the miraculous working of physiology that continues to convert oxygen into useful fuel for the body and share back into the atmosphere carbon dioxide for the trees and the grass to use for their own physiology. everyone's body, all bodies of air-breathing beings recirculating the oxygen and the carbon dioxide simultaneously. Many people find that noticing how the breath, by its own self, arises in the body, goes through all its changes, and then passes out of the body, breath after breath, is of itself stabilizing the concentration just here because it repeats in a predictable way. It's cyclic. Comes and leaves, comes and leaves. And that as the mind relaxes steadies itself, is maybe a better word, steadies itself in concentration. It's often less troubled by random thoughts or feelings. As you sit, as we sit, I don't think you need to work very hard to see every single breath in and out. You can try to. You can name them. They're helpful artifacts for concentration. You can also just sit and enjoy the mind and body assuming it's natural peace and ease. I sometimes say to myself, rather than in or out, say to myself having a good time or feeling good. It's another way of commenting on the situation moment to moment, and it's a way of commenting on a way that doesn't ruffle up the mind into agitation. When anything, when you notice if you notice, when you notice that anything arises that catches your attention and brings it away from the peace and ease of the moment sometimes if you just notice it it disappears and peace and ease and rising and falling of the breath just takes its place sometimes you have to notice it and really give itself, give, oneself, give yourself the instruction, relax. This is not a problem. Then it's likely that what you'll have back is the body and mind, assuming its natural peace and ease. And so we'll do this for a while. Let the mind and body assume it's natural peace and ease. in these last minutes that we sit together I invite you to mention into the room if you want to anybody that you're thinking about or uh, celebrating with or excited for that we could um, put into the communal space for our communal hearts to feel awakened by it's uh, often for me uh, one of those moments that I think, this is really what counts for waking each other up to things that are happening in each of our lives. I'm thinking this morning of um, my friend Ilana, who's one of the uh, rabbis at Congregation of Shalom, who has taken uh, a group of, uh, I think, 15 or 20 people down to uh, Tucson, Arizona to do five days of finding out what's happening on the border and talking to aid workers and talking to people who are taking care of children who have been detained without their parents. And... uh, I'm thinking that uh, I hope that's working out well for everyone. I hope they're learning. and I hope that it's not too hard for them. So that's what I'm thinking about this morning. What are you thinking about? my friend, Tam in San Diego, who word this week if <coughs> this new trial drug that he's taking is working, and he seems to be doing very well with it, so I wish he and his family good luck with that. You know, a very kind man I met walking my dog in Petaluma, and he sweeps the streets in all kinds of weather. Rescues cats, and his partner is taking his job over for about a month because he just had surgery on Monday on the shoulder. And he's just an incredibly kind person and really living close to the bone. Kind of like wishing him well and, and to see him back on the streets again. I'm thinking of. homeless, and he's been diagnosed with prostate cancer, he's waiting for the results, and wishing that he would be in a comfortable place for his treatment. Just thinking about how much it is to fall, not about sorrow. Michelle lost their 14-year-old dog, Boone, on Monday, and I wish them peace and ease in their grief. on the middle of the think of um, I'm thinking of my own experience of hearing about people that i some 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 of whom I know and some of whom I don't know in various situations of uh, discomfort and crisis and sometimes moments of joy and I think about how uh, when I hear about them in the space of quiet, and I think that this is probably true for you as well, it doesn't matter so much if I know who they are personally, but there's somebody, something. There's someone's aunt or someone's sister or someone's cousin or someone's child. Um, And there's a way in which in the space of a relatively balanced mind, I, I feel myself alive in hearing all of that, that the experience of my own natural goodwill, and I'm sure of yours. We hear something that's, that sounds uplifting. We feel all oh, good. And we hear something else that sounds worrisome or grave. We think, oh dear We share we share those experiences. May all beings everywhere be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. I was listening to um, all of everybody sharing and I have in front of me a particular page. Maybe I've been carrying it around for a while. I brought it a while, a few weeks ago. Maybe I'll I'll print out a whole bunch for next week. It's a um, rendering of uh, the Four Teachings or the Four Noble Truths uh, put together by my uh, my friend and uh Dharma buddy, actually, um, Tony Bernhardt, who comes here and teaches from time to time. Tony is currently helping me read uh, Nagarjuna because it's something that he's been teaching for a while. But this particular piece of paper that I really like a lot uh, when I saw Tony yesterday I said please bring me that piece of paper again I, I want to take it to class And this, when I was listening now I was thinking that the four noble truths the first noble Truth, which we'll go back and talk about a little bit later uh, sometimes called the four paths sometimes uh, when Tony teaches in prisons where well, you're not supposed to mention the Buddha because it's a religious thing and the prisons are uh, part of the state system he doesn't call them the Buddha's four noble truths, he calls them four good ideas <laughs> that they're very good ideas and they, and, uh, and they're, they're ideas that if we go back and live by all the time well I think I, I feel like I could go around, I could not carry any other Buddhist books and just carry that around, these four good ideas And the ideas of the four Brahma Viharas, the ideas of goodwill naturally, even when you don't know people, and the idea of uh, compassion when you do know or hear about somebody's pain and discomfort, and the idea of appreciation, not only for uh, people who can do a skateboard flip and land on their feet, but for people who are uh, having a good day or doing something wonderful or uh, for ourselves, for living into a beautiful morning like this. Uh, I always, uh, I think, especially when we've had a, a series of storms, and then suddenly this is like this, I think, you know, maybe that's the analogy is when the mind is preoccupied with this storm, that storm, this storm, that storm. And all of a sudden, it says, hey, I'm, it's, it's okay. Everything is really all right. That this is a kind of a visual of that. And the first of the four good ideas, uh, which um, uh, I've been teaching one way or another and hearing one way or another for more than 40 years now, Usually starts with the with with the first idea, the first truth of Buddha would have said, that life is suffering, and that life is dukkha, which means uncomfortableness. But uh, I really much prefer Tony's rendition here of the first noble truth: is life comes with pain and unpleasantness. That's much better, because I remember hearing about life is suffering. I think not every second, you know. You fall in love, you climb a mountain, you see a wonderful piece of theater, you go out for a long walk with a good friend, you have a satisfying telephone conversation with someone who's more than 100 years old. So you have, All of a sudden you feel up. And not every moment is suffering. But life comes with suffering, with pain and discomfort as it does, just because of bodies and change. And the idea is that in a life that inevitably has pain and disappointments, which are uncomfortable, that the mind could be at ease, say, well, this is just uncomfortableness, but not a problem. This is a lot of discomfort, but it's not a problem. And I think we could talk about that truth forever and ever, and it's the important thing because my own sense is that the more I understand that, the more I understand that suffering is not pain and suffering is not uh, discomfort. Pain is pain, discomfort is discomfort, and there's no way not to have them as long as there are bodies and events and But suffering is, in the sense of what the Buddha said, we could, he said, I teach only two things, suffering and the end of suffering. And the end of suffering does not mean the end of pain, the end of discomfort, the end of unpleasantness, the end of sadness. It means the end of forgetting that those are the things that happen in a human life. It's not a mistake. Everything happens in a human life. I think that when I listen to people adding, I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about that, and everybody has their own specific particular flavor of pain and discomfort. Probably, we won't do this because it's a little silly, if I said, um, if you have zero discomfort in your whole life, Right now, today, please stand up. First of all, you wouldn't do it even if you say, today I'm living on the top of the world perfect because you wouldn't do it in order not to cause discomfort to the other people. Really? Is that true? You wouldn't do it because it would be like, yeah, 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 I don't have discomfort and everybody else does. So, So I mean, everybody here wouldn't do that just for that. Is that true? It wouldn't. And the other thing is, if you think about it, there's something, you know, the uh, the the wallpaper is uh, peeling in the bathroom, or you know, there's something that could be fixed in your life, you know, something that could need fixing or could be other. Not to have something. A friend of mine who died in his thirties, years and years ago, of an unusual cancer. For men. He died of breast cancer in his mid 30s, which is unusual. He wrote a letter to all of his friends in which he said, talking about his life, he had a family, he had a profession that was meaningful to him. He wrote a letter in which he said, to be mailed after he died, I would have wanted more, but I never wanted other. I think that's an amazing thing, to not want other. We usually want other. We have a preference. So I was thinking particularly of that line from uh, Magos said, May all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. May all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering as the hope of a quiet heart. Nobody needs to be any different then I was also thinking of the first line of the Zen teachings, the teachings, faith verses of the third Zen patriarch, which is The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. So I wanted to talk about preferences today, from uh, minor and trivial to big preferences. Which I, th- I think we all have preferences all the time. Um, we don't think, but we we don't think about them all the time. I was driving down this morning from um, the North County, unusually, and uh, it was more crowded on the freeway than I thought it would be. And I got here a little bit later than I thought I would, but I was thinking about it particularly because I had said. I said no, not a. Uh, it's just more. It's just more crowded. That's all. You know, I'll get there when I get there. If I don't get there until after ten, probably wouldn't be a revolt. Everybody run out at ten. They probably stay there. <laughs> that the mind does not have to get r- r- razzed up every second you worry about this, worry about that. So we'll start with an easy one. So on Sunday, I. Uh, I was planning to watch the Super Bowl, so number one, I was thinking, because after, I'll tell you the story, and then I'll I'll think to myself, should I start with the Super Bowl, because it's not so PC to mention the Super Bowl, because nobody's supposed to like uh, football at this time, we're all supposed to be out there with signs and say, no more football, you can hurt yourself, and look what happened, and. Because then we'd have to take signs also that say no more prize fights, which I really wouldn't watch because it's really painful for me to watch. Anyway, so it's not so PC, but okay. Uh, but here it was. And how many people watch the Super Bowl? Not so many. Okay. Uh, I watched it because my my husband and I were spending the day alone in babysitting my daughter's dog in the. For the whole week, actually, and uh, we're alone for the day. And I thought, well, that's the thing that people do on Super Bowl Sunday—they sit down in the afternoon and they eat popcorn and they, well, whatever it is that they eat, and they watch the Super Bowl. So we'll do that. Then I realized I really didn't have a preference because go, we go back to the glory days of Joe Montana and Bl- Dwight Clark where we were really interested in the Super Bowl not so interested now because the 49ers are not doing that well that's number one truth you have to have a little bit of something in the game to care about it or when you have something in the game you watch it, oh good, oh bad one of the things I noted is I didn't have too much investment in the game it wasn't that all exciting, you know. It wasn't that all exciting. Anyway, I thought to myself. I saw um, uh, somebody sent me a, a photograph that they had taken of a sign outside. I'm pretty sure it was the Nevado Methodist Church, but the sign said, "God does not choose favorites. The pastor does. Go, Jared." So. <laughs> Because Jared Goff is a Nevada boy who went to Marin Catholic High School not that long ago. He's only 24 years old. So then I thought, okay, maybe I'll root for Jared because I see it there. Then I thought, on the other hand, Tom Brady is 41 years old and I always tend to prefer stories where the elderly person does better than the young person. (laughs) Because I like those stories where oldness is better. So I said, Okay, so I'm gonna think about Tom Grady. May he win. So then one of my daughters called me about something and I said I told her about it, I was gonna do this, for my mind about it. I'm gonna do this. And root for Tom Grady, the the New England. She said, You know, Mom, he's the guy that did deflate Gate. Remember that about taking the air out of the football, so he might have been that criminal act. I said, okay, I'm not gonna do Tom Brady anymore. <laughs> now I'm gonna root for Jared. It was anyway a very boring game, because uh, not much, they were very evenly matched teams. What I didn't think about at all, that's okay, I'm rooting for Nevada, go Jared. And uh, then uh, the New England Patriots won. Then they announced that the MVP award went to a receiver named Edelman. Edelman is the first Jew in NFL history to win a Most Valuable Player award at a Super Bowl. 53 years of Super Bowls, it's the first Jew. uh, Somebody right away forwarded me uh, the uh, Israel Times has already got a big article about Edelman, first MVP at a Super Bowl. So I say, oh, good, I was rooting for the right team. The whole thing is nonsense. But I realize how the whole life has to do with picking random things for random reasons. And then we think, oh, I made up my mind of my own free will. I didn't have a free will at all. If this happened, I thought, oh, I'll do that. And then, okay, now I'm doing that. Okay, now I'm rooting this. Okay, now that. that. That a bunch of things conspire. What Liz said. What the Israel Post said. What this said. What that said. And I come out saying, "Good, I chose the right." (laughs) I choose anything. My mind bounced around. It doesn't matter. I tell you that whole story because it doesn't matter who won. They both got paid enormous bonuses for for playing in the Super Bowl. the, The stakes are trivial. Then I think about what if the stakes are important. What if how many people watched the State of the Union last night? How many people didn't watch? How many people didn't watch purposely? I didn't. Why did you not watch purposely? I didn't watch purposely. It was distressing. So uh, it doesn't tell the truth. It doesn't tell the truth. We could say, well. Have you watched Super Bowls in the, pa- uh, the the State of the Unions in the past? You have watched State of the Union addresses in the past, okay. For about eight years. Huh? For about eight years. <laughs> who else from the not watching purposely? Elizabeth, what? Well, I, I did watch it, but it was to see Nancy, who was amazing. <laughs> You want to say why for the people who didn't watch? Uh, well, in the beginning, they have each been given uh, copies of the, of the um, speech. And she was, while he was talking, she started just rustling the papers and looking through them <laughs> and making notes. he would say something and she'd frown and she'd make notes. <laughs> <laughs> How many people read that the same way that Elizabeth did? I wasn't watching. So did you think it was right purposely in front of his face? Because well, sometimes you can say I saw that with my own eyes, but we actually you know interpret it with our own eyes. So, who has something else to say about that? What? there was women, I guess, when he said something about, oh look, there's more women in the house, that there was a big uproar and that he supported that, so that was supposed to be a good thing, I don't know, yeah. for those who saw no, it was, it was, like, it I good. just heard like yeah. yeah. well, So yeah. it was a yeah. the, so that was kind it of it a good thing very, that he it, sort of. It was of, something that everybody made. came together and uh, the women were all applauding because it something to be very proud of. Yeah. You know, so that was a good of But there's great irony. Yeah, I agree. Because all those women were there. Absolutely. (laughs) women that? I can't, Yeah. I (laughs) guess so. But, so, what I'm really interested in, I'm very interested in all of that, but I'm interested, uh, if you didn't watch, uh, we started with that, you didn't watch, I didn't watch, because... uh, I can watch a football game where I really don't care about one side or the other. I can even watch a football game where I do care about one side or the other. And it is in my mind all the time that it's a game. I also, I don't, I don't watch sports all the time, but I watch Super Bowls, I watch World Series, because these are really consummate athletes. And they're really good at what they do. And they've practiced and practiced. It's like going to the ballet. I'm I'm really in awe of what they can do. So I I remember saying in here that at the end of a World Series, at the last pitch, and finally the the team that wins, wins. And everybody runs out, and they're jumping on the whole team, and they're jumping on the pitcher, and everybody is batting each other's back and hugging even people who probably don't like each other that well, they' are all hugging. the team succeeded, and uh, you look over in the other team's dugout and they're sitting like this and i and I remember actually thinking look it's it's just not your year next year you'll probably win. got a lot of money for playing this game anyway. you know I hold the bigger truth because that in that moment they feel like that, but I decided not to watch last night because I really well, maybe you I really don't like the, the feeling of my mind when it's stirred up thinking, it's not true. Just said a lie." Uh, and I was trying to avoid that feeling. I thought I could read about it later. What? I was just I, you know, I watched the Super Bowl, but then there were parts I turned it off, and then I watched the a speech. But then there were parts when I got like that, and I'm starting to recognize it in my body. So then I turned it off. And I just, it's, it's from a health standpoint of view. Like, I felt like my blood pressure. Now you talked about AFib. Yeah. It's <laughs> so, like I'm really watching that now. Yeah. So I can only handle so much of that, you know, certain subjects. And you said it's smart to only watch so much of the news. I said that a while ago. The ration, it and i i you know i believe that somebody um somebody sent me an essay uh uh actually i people uh, i'm happy when people send me uh uh what do you call it um links to editorials that they like so someone sent me a, an editorial from rick wilson so you, i already knew before reading it that it was going to be really probably my point of view but even ha- ramped up a little bit uh, Rick Wilson is a, um, a, co- a columnist and a uh, journalist and a speaker on all the programs of political interest who used to be for all of his life a Republican strategist and he wrote a book called Everything That Trump Touches Dies <laughs> and it's very agitating language so the article that they sent me yesterday was also agitating, actually. But I was interested in the word he said for uh, uh, people who were going to be watching. He said, I'm not going to watch because it's agit-porn. I'd never heard that before. I'd never heard that term before. No, but does that make sense to you? I know plenty of people who are addicted to agit-porn From um, uh, you know, that walk in the door and turn on their... Cable. Yeah. I only really watched a little bit of it, but I watched when um, he said something about women that was an applause line, and the Democratic women in white applauded. And the moment that I learned something about myself, he said, Wait, you're not supposed to do that. Right. And when I heard him say that, you know, I have huge, strong opinions about what's going on in our country. You're, I'm sure, in this room, and I'm passionate about it. I saw a, a spark of someone who was a human that I didn't expect to see, and so I, I learned something about my own, Oh, the um, uh, solid perception of reality that may not always be correct. No, no, no. I, I really tell me your name again, Marilyn. I really recognize that in me. That every once in a while, when there's some comment about, well, this has been this piece of legislation. Uh, making a difference about in prison reform really happened, and I'm like unhappy to hear that. Really, something good happened. And it, like uh, it takes me a little while to say okay. So I see that my mind is also not uh, not a clear slate for receiving. I only want to receive certain kinds of information. But I was. I, but I'm thinking about avoiding agitating. Now, and I want to talk about why I think it's important to recognize the mind that's becoming agitated. And I, this is yet another... Oh, here's why, and then I'll tell you the other thing, the story, because it doesn't make me look so good again, so I'm going to put it off a little bit. Um, I was thinking it doesn't matter to the world what happens in a football game. It does matter who's the president of the United States. Um... But in either case, the football game or the government of the United States, the truth is that I can't do anything about it other than vote in two years and maybe write occasional letters to the editor or to share with my friends what my feelings are, but my friends usually have the same feelings already. I'm just revving them up. There's really nothing I can do about it. And I was thinking, okay, that's where the line goes. Since there's nothing I can do about it, Tony was talking, Tony and I were talking yesterday about, there's nothing I can do about it. I have two possibilities. I can actually have compassion for the whole world, because look what we're doing to ourselves. That's one possible. And the other thing is there's nothing I can do about it, I can be angry and bitter and mean spirited and mad at the world because it's messing itself up. And I really wish that I could stay more on the compassion for the world side. I don't think that it means if I could stay on the compassion for the world side that I wouldn't do the equal amount of teaching or saying or voting or contributing or whatever it is that I do I'm absolutely convinced I could be as much of an activist for peace, loving the world, as being embittered by it, maybe more, by loving the world. Mahagosananda walked, I don't know that he walked all the way from Auschwitz to Hiroshima, but he was in Auschwitz, and he was in Hiroshima, and he was in his 80s already, and he had seen the terrible... um, war in Cambodia and struggle in the 70s. And he'd been a very, very great source of solace and peace for many, many people in displaced persons camps during that time. And all he could say was, may all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering, not just the beings with whom I agree, And that's what I think is the amazing piece of changed mind. Could I really really actually feel compassion for all beings? Maybe even specifically for beings that are hurting themselves and other people out of ignorance. It's pretty easy to wish well for the people that you care a lot about. I was coming home this is a story I was putting off telling you because I wanted to make the point I'll tell you that too before I tell you the story lest (laughs) lest it put me in too feeble a light or something Uh, I I really wanted to talk about this whole business of free will Tony and I agreed yesterday that there's no really thing such as free will it's all conditioned will but we decided that there is a thing called free won't. <laughs> and that that's what practice is about. That was that, you know, I made that free choice to do that. Is that good? Yeah. It was actually Tony who thought about that. But I, I thought it was great. Free won't. That that's what practice is, learning to inhibit to do, to say something. I just have to tell you this. No, you don't. You could think it over. You know? Uh I just have to get this off my chest. This is a mistake. Somebody says that to me. I know right away it's not going to be good. You know, look. or I'll be frank with you. No, okay. I, you know, I don't want people to not uh, to not. I don't want people to lie to me, but they could censor how they're going to put it out. In due season will I speak, not out of season. For the other person's benefit will I speak, not for their harm. Gently will I speak, not harshly. In truth, while I speak, not in falsehood. Um, there's a fifth. Did I say for their benefit, not for their harm? Yeah. In truth, will I, for their benefit, not for their harm. There's another one. Gently, will I speak, not harshly. Anyway, there should be Five. And they are in the uh, Buddhist Buddha's uh, set of laws for monks. They're in the Vinaya and the monks' laws. And they're called. uh, And the name of those five things is. um, It's under the. It's under the heading, before admonishing anyone, one should reflect. Thus, is this a good time? Am I speaking honestly? Am I speaking gently? Am I speaking for their benefit, for their not... In kindness will I speak, not in anger. That's the fifth one. I used to have that when I, when I had a psychotherapy practice. I had that in a printed out in a frame on my desk, I think, or somewhere in the, the studio in which I saw people. And people often borrowed it, asked to borrow it, to take it home. And they say, I'm going to, I'll go with it to Kinko's in the days that you couldn't scan something. I'm going with Kinko's, I'm going to make a copy, and I'm going to put it up on my refrigerator, which is where people put up things that they want to see all the time. Or I'm going to put it up on my bathroom mirror so you see it all the time. So I was coming home from Puerto Rico, a week and a half ago, I went to Puerto Rico uh, because one of my friends was able to secure four tickets to Hamilton, which is all anybody could get. There were, there were 20 performances or something, and you had a call on a certain day at a certain time, and she was up at four in the morning in Washington, D.C., on the phone with a central. Anyway, she got four tickets. And I went with that particular friend uh, and uh, Sharon Salzberg and uh, one of my daughters, and we all met in San Juan. And we were there for a week, and it was great. I was another friend of one of them joined us. It was a really great, wonderful week. I had a perfect time. I'm telling you all that, not to say, yeah, yeah, I was in San Juan. But to, to set up, the, set up the, the, the the backdrop to the story, I'm going to tell you. A lovely week. It was a perfect weather. per the University, I even thought, well, it's the tropics. It'll be muggy. It'll be humid. It was perfect. It was beautiful. There were sea breezes. There are lots of places in the countryside in Puerto Rico that are not yet built up. There are places where people are unable to get to a main road without a lot of roundabout traveling. There are places where people are getting electricity just now. There's a lot of destruction that has still not been fixed up. There are also a lot of people whom I met while I was there who are, uh, uh, some of them uh, people who live in Puerto Rico, young people in Puerto Rico, uh, paired with some uh, young people from the United States who are yoga teachers and community organizers who are there working on getting communities up and working all the parts of the community together. I did some teaching there. It's altogether all together a wonderful week. Everything was good. I felt good. We got along good, perfectly. Everybody was interesting. A wonderful time. I sent it all up. Because then we started to come home. And it's a very long trip. And it was a very long trip going, but it was the same very long trip because you have to do two flights. Have to, but somehow going, I was excited about it. Coming, get on the first, first flight is four hours and something, and then there's not enough time to catch the next plane out of Atlanta, but we did, and it's another seven hours out in that. It's long. And sitting way in the back of a plane, like this, for four hours and then seven hours. And I have, I have an old body. I guess it started to get really tired. And I start to have thoughts. The dumb idea of you to come all the way to Puerto Rico at your age. These other people are much younger than you, shouldn't have come. That's like a normal thought for me. you know. I, it's like a first line, uh-oh, it has to do with oldness. Then I think... Our, If I'd thought it over, I would have thought, you know, this is just a whim. You don't have to do that. You want to support Puerto Rico? You could just contribute. Why did you come? That was a dumb idea. But you always do that. You think. You would act before you do that. And I've got, like, somebody standing on this shoulder, talking in this ear, telling me all kinds of things that aren't true. Maybe it's very foolish of you. You, uh, you don't think over things. Uh, could have done something else but just an ongoing well, you know you have to really make allowances for your age. you should think more the next time I had a whole bunch of things that and then I have another part that starts up because I realize at some point that not only does my back hurt my body doesn 't feel good, but now I feel worse from the bad thoughts about what was going on, so then I think about wait a minute. The the inverse of that story is I'm an old woman who just went on two long plane flights to spend a week in a a place eating other food and keeping up with four people who are way younger than I am and swimming in uh, lakes and rainforests and standing on the waterfalls in the middle of those lakes. You did fabulous things. Think about those things. Think about the waterfall, think about the lakes, think about the (laughs) rainforests. Uh, it's like having somebody in both ears telling you stories and you have to decide which story am I going to listen to which one do I want to editorialize which one do I want to believe and I, I'm really I'm telling you this whole story not to say that I was because even uh, insight look what I have having really insight into the truth of the second noble truth or the validity of the second noble truth we make things worse for ourselves the truth is I have a back ache and I feel a little squashed back here and we didn't bring enough food to eat on the trip and everything that they have on the plane is stuff that I don't eat and that's the truth it's not the worst I'm not flying infinitely I'm going to eventually land there will be food I will lie down my back will feel better it's not irrevocably hurt but here is this thing, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and over here is, but look what you did, look what you did, look what you did. Don't do that. It's like the mind purposely is looking to agitate itself. Why is that? So, which I'm telling you again this story in so much self preoccupation, because I think you probably know that about yourself. Something is aggravating you, and you say to yourself, if I put this down and say, that's what's happening, okay. That some, somehow that's wrong, you have to keep worrying it to death. Or can't put this down, can't give up this anger. That what's in the mind that it does that? And I was thinking that maybe what we're doing here, and maybe what I hope the good of my telling you that whole story, is that talking about practice as habits, recognizing the habits that create suffering in the mind, and dehabituating yourself to those habits—the only thing we can do, possibly, is change habits. How many people have ever changed a habit in their mind? <laughs> Tell me a few. Stop smoking. Stop smoking. What else? Eating less. Eating less. I love sweets. You don't eat that. All right, there's <laughs> a habit. Every night after I, wish I to... <laughs> What? You do that? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's very good. All in favor of her habits. <laughs> okay. Recognizing thoughts that aren't happy or fun and canceling them and replacing my thoughts. Can you do that? Yes. 100% of the time? No. I'm aware of it. that is, I forgot your name. Veronica. Veronica. And that's such a great name, Veronica. You hardly know anybody named Veronica, but it's a great name. Why do we know it from some childhood? Archie. Archie, there you go. Archie had a girlfriend named Veronica. It's a lot. That that there's something about, there needs, this is what I think I come around to. In order for the mind to have the strength to say, I can do this. Here is this voice talking, and here's this voice talking. I can just say, we're not doing this. We're doing this. That's number one. we can say, just don't do it. Don't do it, don't feed it. The other thing, it's agit it's agit porn, you know it just irritates. The other thing which is more useful, which I ended up doing for the rest of the trip, is looking around at other people on a plane because the the main thing that I've been missing all that time is the story I'm telling is a poor old woman here jammed into the back of this plane. There are two hundred people jammed into that same plane that I can think about. And a couple of them have crying babies. How about thinking about them? How about thinking about the flight attendants? I can't believe that somebody makes a living. <laughs> Every day, Joe did that for thirty-five years, forty years. That was in the olden days. It was fun. It was fun. It wasn't so crowded as now. It wasn't so crowded. Uh, But you know, just to but the the the. I guess this is the point that I was trying to come around to, and I'm happy to say that I did. Is that what actually releases the mind? from self-destructive thoughts is the discovery that if I think about the woman over there or the man over there who's got that baby and it's crying and start to wish well for them, and the baby, that poor baby doesn't know how to swallow and clear its ears or it's, it's way too tired to be doing a long flight like that. As soon as I start saying metaphrases or singing the metaphrases or even remembering when I was traveling with my own young babies years ago and connecting with that thought. They're all way more wholesome than poor me. Every story that starts poor me, can you believe it? Look what happened to me. is a mistake because it's already happened to you. It's already uncomfortable and it makes it worse. It's say, woe is me. <laughs> I don't know where that expression used to, came from originally, woe is me. Do you remember that? Nobody says "Woe is me" anymore, <laughs> but anybody doesn't know what "woe is me" means. You know that? Huh? do you recognize it? Did it come from comic strips? Huh? If you know, tell me the realization that everybody is having a really hard time. They're in a the plane, and then the realization that we're all trying to have. Everybody's having a really hard time. I you know, look in the traffic around this morning. Uh, I'm a little bit late, all these people. Everybody has to get somewhere. Then if I in any moment that I unhook from my story and make it a communal story, how about you know the world is getting into a terrible shape with politics, so I have to be agitated about it. Is my agitation going to help? No, the agitation will not help. It just aggravates. It just intensifies my own distress. But if I think about the poor world, everybody's on it. I, at least, at least for the relative near future, I'm not homeless. I'm not. I'm not in need. My family is fed. I have medical care. The world is largely having a harder time than I am. And we're all suffering from confusion because nobody knows that when the heart changes from contention to compassion. I never said that before today. I just said it. I think that's actually true. That when the heart changes from contention to compassion that's really the, the operative word. Do you think that I overrate that or did that mean something to you? I just thought that's a pretty good thing to say. I hope somebody has a pen and writes it down. <laughs> <laughs> but really from contention to compassion. I used to, years ago, have an image that I would say, I think people, I, this is how I would present it, I'd say, I think people are generally disposed to to kindness in the face of somebody else's difficulty. It used to be, how many times did I say it today it used to be in comic books, when I, when I was young, in magazines and books, um, the 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 image of somebody wrapping leaving a newborn baby wrapped up on a doorstep of somebody you remember that image the sad image uh, and some young woman often walking off in great embarrassment. imagine never mind embarrassment but agony to leave a baby like that, your own baby. I used to tell that image of. What I thought human beings were fundamentally, mostly like, by saying, you know, I think if any of us—tell me if it's not true—open your front door tomorrow and found a baby in a basket was that was crying, what would you do? You call the cops? Why don't no? That's not, well, that's not the first thing you would do, Jeff. <laughs> you pick it up. You pick it up and you comfort it. And then you call the police or if the lines are down and you can't call with 911 right then, you feed it and you dry it up. You change the diaper. You dry it up. What? Being a nurse and working with babies, comfort, diaper, then call the police. You do the diaper, you do the food and you call the police after that and you calm them down. First. You calm them down. Change the diaper, give them some food, comfort them, and then you call the police and say somebody's missing a baby. And what should we do? But nobody would open the door and say, "Ah, uh, it's the wrong gender." It's, <laughs> it's the wrong color. It doesn't have the, the you know it doesn't have the facial characteristics that are familiar to me. You wouldn't do that, would you? No. I mean, there's something in the human heart that when we are confronted with Maybe not every single person, but most of us pick up in comfort. Maybe I, maybe actually I, I thought, oh, maybe I should feel embarrassed. I told that story. I think I'm not because I think the point I wanted to say is when we're hungry or tired or uncomfortable, change the diaper, <laughs> feed them something. <laughs> And, and, and but that, that most of us are inclined to compassion, and the, the reason that we hesitate with anything that we don't that we don't where it doesn't flow out of us is because somehow we're confused. That I don't feel compassion for certain political leaders. I am in that moment confused about the fact that. That particular person that I'm not feeling compassion towards couldn't be other, and is doing the best they can. And is probably also in pain. I could feel compassion and um, disapprove. I could feel compassion and not make the problem worse. I see people rolling their eyes. <laughs> If I could do it more, I would have watched the talk last night. But I'm not that good at it. Sometimes I'm good at it. Really what I want to talk about, we'll talk about it next week too, because I really need to be in an appointment on time today. But this is, I think, really the most the 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 um the crux of what we need to talk about, what I need to talk about all the time, because my, my intention in my life, I was going to say in my practice, but the whole life is a practice, is to try to keep paying attention to how it is out there, not how it is in here. Or how it is in here in terms of how it is out there. Is this heart able to relate out there? If someone said, hey, I need your undivided attention for my particular pain right now, would I be there to hear it? Do I have that kind of uh, heartometer in my in my? Don't even have to take it out of my purse. Like I look, it could look out of my eyes at any person at any time, and think, Do I care? Do you remember? There's a a children's book called Pierre. Remember Pierre? And Pierre said, "I don't care," but in the end. Uh, the whole point of that is that pierre gets it that being alive depends on caring i want to try to remember to bring you pierre next year next week it's a tiny little book anybody have a pierre at home i used to have them do you have a pierre at home are you coming next week bring the pierre okay <laughs> huh Maurice Sendak has came in a, little, a set of four little books. Are you going to bring them? Okay, good. What's your name? Tanya. Tanya. Bring it. Okay. May all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. And Ace will be back next week, I think, in time to remind us. That was your brilliance this morning. It was, wasn't (laughs) it? Wonderful. I wrote it down and I thought I'll give it to you.